Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome. Amanda Grace here with you today to cover part two of the United States, the Weimar Republic, this, this urgent uh, prophetic warning about how this is all connected. We're going to go deeper into some other things as well with this. We're going to biblically tie this in as well. So Grace is already starting to sing. I am fighting something off. So it almost went away and then it started to try to come back. So uh, I am maybe will sound a little nasally uh, at times. So just bear with me on that. I, I am I am um, on the mend. It's just uh, this has been a slight little hiccup in my journey to completely get over this and, and move on with my life. So basically, I just wanted to give you the heads up on that. Welcome to everyone watching the United States and around the world and to our Ark of Grace team and our moderators. Thank you for helping us do what we do for the Lord. And so we are going to open up in prayer and we're going to get right into this. There's a lot of information to go through. As always, we will have it up on the blog, Amanda Grace, the number four him.blogspot.com. We will put part one and part two up on the blog for you. So let's let's begin. Father God, in the precious name of your son, Jesus Christ, we come before you. We praise you that you are almighty God. You are high and lifted up far above every power, principality, and might. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise that is due your precious holy name. Lord, we humble ourselves before you this day, asking that the pull of the flesh becomes less in our lives, so you, your will, and your power become more in our lives. We acknowledge you sent your son, Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, to the earth, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was the Passover lamb, the sacrifice for our sins. He died at Calvary, willingly purchased us by the shedding of his blood that dripped onto the mercy seat and purchased us back to our Father in heaven. We praise you, Lord, that he rose again in three days and after appearing to many, ascended back into heaven, took his rightful place at the right hand of the Father, where he rules and reigns forevermore. And we declare before you, Lord Jesus, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we honor that before you this day. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we invite your presence, the presence of Ruach Elohim and the presence of the Ruach HaKadosh, the Holy Spirit, to fill this place, to fill this room, Lord, to lead and guide me in all wisdom, counsel, might, power, and the reverential fear of the Lord. By the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, by the spirit of the one true living God, may only the truth and power of almighty God with authority now come forth in Jesus name. In the name of Jesus Christ, I take authority over every plot scheme, contract, assignment, harm, weaponry, blueprint, attack strategy that the enemy, satanic agents, dark forces, unclean spirits, puppets and agents of the enemy and the like would attempt, let it be broken, canceled, aborted, destroyed, dismantled, disabled, their communication lines confused, bound up so they cannot continue in their attacks and missions and cast back to the dry places and pits from which it came from to be bound there in the name of Jesus Christ and not return or have anything sent in its place. Lord, take all the glory for yourself. You are the potter. We are merely the clay. You are the author and finisher of our faith. You deserve all the glory, honor, and praise. You are high and lifted up, Father God. We praise you today. Let your name be glorified above all. In the name of Jesus Christ, Yeshua, amen and amen. Okay, amen. Praise the Lord. I wanted to say also, Chag Samiach Shavuot to our Jewish brothers and sisters out there. Happy Shavuot. We know it as Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came to the 120 in the upper room and the counselor, the comforter was sent to us after Jesus went back to be with the father. So we celebrate with you and uh, we just pray everybody, you know, just feels the presence of the Lord as we go forth in this time. So we, a couple of days ago, did part one of this prophetic warning having to do with the United States, the Weimar Republic, other things that tied in. I talked about Washington's farewell address as well. We are going into part two now. This is part two, and we're going to get into some really interesting things here that are very connected. So let's just get right, dive right into it. I'm going to start off by going into a background of World War One because that is what set the stage for the Weimar Republic, for the fall of it to the Third Reich, for Hitler to bring his rhetoric forth and the people to accept it. So we have to go into just a little bit of background here. You're going to understand why I do this too, as we get 
uh, as we go further into the teaching, because a lot of these nations in World War I, something very interesting happened, oh, in the past seven years or so. So let's begin. In 1898, on the cusp of World War I, a top-ranking German Navy officer named Terpitz aimed at forcing Britain into an alliance with Germany on German terms. Like basically making them an offer they can't refuse for you, for you Italians out there who like that sort of rhetoric. That's what it was kind of like. Now, this came from a book written called World War I, A Historical Explanation of Literature. So instead, Britain responded by building even more ships. And by, and by the end of the late 1880s, uh, they did this policy of splendid isolation to form alliances with Japan, France, and Russia, because I think Britain saw what Germany was about to do. I think they discerned it, and I think they tried to get ahead of it by doing this. The German naval laws created unintended consequences. They ended up alienating both the government and public of Britain prior to the war. Also, the catalyst that truly pushed World War I into hyperdrive was the Archduke, who was heir to the Austro-Hungarian throne, went to Sarajevo to inspect the imperial troops stationed in Bosnia and Herzegovina. He and his wife, Sophie, they were shot and killed by a 19-year-old Serbian revolutionary. So this assassination that happened of the Archduke Ferdinand highlighted the nationalism that was pulling the Austro-Hungarian Empire apart at the seams. Noting that Serbian extremists actually wanted Franz Ferdinand dead because they feared he was too moderate and would promote a power-sharing arrangement that would keep Slavic peoples in the empire. So basically that he was going to allow um, dual nations to rule over one nation. And there was a lot of concern that the Archduke was moderate enough and liberal enough, we shall say, to allow that to happen. His assassination killed the idea whether or not it was ever realistic to begin with and radicalized Serbian defiance and Austrian determination to solve the nationalism problem for good, at least with respect to Serbia. So instead, the tension between European powers increased as they took different sides in this crisis. So the creating of this crisis and this assassination caused many other nations in Europe now to draw up lines and to take sides. As the UK's Imperial War Museum notes, the killing put both Austria-Hungary and Russia, which saw itself as the Serbians' protector, in a bind. Neither one of them wanted to back down and appear weak. Fearing a fight that would draw in Russia, Austria-Hungary turned for help to Germany. So they were concerned about what she would do, and they run right to Germany, which promised backing if the Austro-Hungarians used force against the Serbians. So they said, well, we'll back you if you use force against the Serbians. Why did Germans want force use against the Serbians? Why? Because they were in bed with the Russians, and German, Germany wanted to totally deal with Russia. So German support emboldened Austria-Hungary to declare war on Serbia in, on July 28th. Two days later after this happens, Russia's military mobilized and the Germans saw that they too were in a bind. They didn't want to fight both Russia and its ally France on two fronts simultaneously. So it became imperative to knock the French military out of the war before Russia was ready to fight. Germany declared war on Russia on August 1st and two days later declared war against France. German uh, forces gathered on the border of neutral Belgium, which they planned to cross in order to invade France. Belgium called for help. And on August 4th, Great Britain declared war on Germany. So Great Britain had been sitting there building up their battleships, building up their arsenal. And when Germany did this, all Belgium had to do was make a one phone call and the Britons and the uh, the Brits were now in the war against Germany. And World War I had then begun. This ultimately put Germany in once the war was over, 
and they were blamed for it because ultimately they declared war on multiple countries at once for very nefarious reasons. This ultimately put Germany in such a weakened position financially, militarily, and spiritually that it created a perfect storm of conditions for a dictator to then arise, promising to turn that ship of Germany back on course. However, all it did was push it into dark, deep waters. Now, Ephesians chapter two, verses one through two, and you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you, in, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So this spirit back then was at work in the sons of disobedience. And this is why we saw all of this happen. Things are coming full circle. Events of the past are on track to potentially now repeat themselves. And I wanted to give you a good definition of nationalism because the left likes to throw this word out a lot and say, oh, oh, nationalists, oh, Christian nationalists, oh, this is dangerous. Oh, this is, they're trying to use the same rhetoric. But let's give you an, an idea of what nationalism is identification with one's own nation and support for its interests. So you're supporting the interests of your nation first, especially to the exclusion or detriment of the interest of other nations. So remember they said America first? Other uh, mean, Meaning we put our nation's own needs ahead of other nations and take care of our nation first and make sure our nation is solid so we can be of assistance at times to others in need because if if a nation is horrifically suffering and they're not taking care of their nation and all they're doing is getting themselves involved with other nations that is a recipe for disaster so the radical and the left have attempted and even those on the right who have made agreements who say they're on the right but they're really not who have made agreements with such doctrine have attempted to take nationalism nationalism and turn it into a scarlet letter why because in attempting to destroy a nation and enslave it, the last thing you want is for the people to take an involved interest in preserving it for the sake of a democratic process. You see, that's the key. You don't want the type of nationalism where there's a dictator, but the type of nationalism where you want it preserved for the sake of a democratic process and for the sake of liberty, which is freedom that that also goes with responsibility, that's different. That you don't want the people of that nation cherishing its founding documents that founded a republic, which in our case is the Constitution and Declaration of Independence. Now, interestingly enough today, European nations are giving up national sovereignty and a vacuum of power will always be filled. A 2017 report published by Foreign Policy Magazine explained how a growing number of European countries are integrating some of their own brigades into Germany's military. Now, German's military is called the, the Bundeswehr, B-U-N-D-E-S-W-E-H-R, which literally means federal defense. Romania's 81st Mechanized Brigade has joined the Bundeswehr's Rapid Response Force Division. You've had the Czechs' uh, 4th Rapid uh, Deployment Brigade, which served in uh, Afghanistan and Kosovo and is considered the Czech Army's spearhead force, will become part of the Germans' 10th Armored Division. And doing so, they will follow in the footsteps of two Dutch brigades, which is Holland, one of which has already joined the Bunsweird's Rapid Response Forces Division and another that has been integrated into the Bunsweird's First Armored Division. So basically other European nations are integrating their military militaries into Germany. So they're, they're parts of their military, um, factions of their military in with the German military. But someone is in charge and guess who? So they're all integrating this, but guess who's in charge? The Germans. Do you see what's happening? It's all so slow and so peaceful and for peaceful aims, such as fighting terrorism. But little by little, Germany is coming to dominate Europe politically and militarily. This seems to be occurring. 
If we had nothing to guide us, not understanding prophecy, we might see Germany's rearming as a good thing. What could be better than a powerful ally on the other side of the Atlantic, especially one that is or says they are, quote, committed to democratic principles, personal liberties and fiscal responsibility. However, prophecy speaks of the final resurgence of an ancient nation that comes forth out of the old Roman Empire that leads the world in a military buildup like we have never seen. They lead an enormous army in the world. And Daniel chapter 11 details 2,500 years of prophecy from the time of the Persian empire to the return of Jesus Christ. One of the major themes of the chapter is the ongoing conflict between the king of the north and the king of the south. The potential Europe has to become involved in this and part of the beast power may fill that role as perhaps a king of the north type situation. This is how Daniel describes him. He shall regard neither the God of his fathers nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. But in their place, he shall honor a God of fortresses and a God which his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and pleasant things. That's Daniel chapter 11, verses 37 through 38. So Daniel, when talking about this particular king, speaks of it at this king actually worshiping a god of fortresses or forces or strongholds. So basically this empire will be so intent on obtaining and developing the most powerful weapons on earth and the strongest military that the Bible describes it as virtually worshiping its own military strength. Who is that going to be? Who is that going to be? Now, I don't think that's the United States of America. This is across the Atlantic in the old Roman Empire. That's what we're looking at right now. And the U.S. has more and more of a staggering debt. This is a country that's going to be fiscally very strong or a, or a conglomerate that is going to be fiscally very strong. The Roman Empire stretched from Central and Western Europe to parts of the Middle East and the border of Africa and included parts of what is now France, Germany and Italy. It was an enormous empire that stretched across a span of continents. Uh, and so we look to that for a hotbed of activity that has been happening for a very long time. And this is a fact. Only 4% of Germans say they read the Bible every day. 4%. According to a poll conducted by INSA, it says INSA Consulare and the German Christian News Agency, IDEA or IDEA, a full 70% say they never read it at all. Interestingly enough, a survey from 2021 found that 11% of Americans read the Bible daily. So this is some interesting parallels we're drawing here. The German's lineage also is revealed in the Bible and secular history. The Bible records that the early roots of modern civilization after the flood began in the northern regions of the Mesopotamia Valley, which is well known as the cradle of civilization. One of Noah's sons, who was Shem, was the forefather of Asher. That is in Genesis chapter 10, verse 22. The sons of Shem were Elam, Asher, Arphaxad, Lud, and Aram. The descendants of Asher became known as the Assyrians. In the 8th and 7th centuries BC, the Assyrians built a powerful empire in the upper Mesopotamia Valley. That empire collapsed and the Assyrians then began to migrate into Central Europe. A DNA analysis of ancient remains in Central Europe, including Germany, backs the biblical record. The foundations of the modern gene pool were laid down between 4,000 and 2,000 BC from a, quote, wave of migration by Near Eastern farmers from six, they, they're, they're dating it at 6,000 years ago, which I don't know how accurate that is, but it was a wave of migration by Near Eastern farmers. The Assyrians worshipped. Now, 
this is where we're 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 going to start to pull some more things in here is right here in this part and we're going to to branch off a little bit here so the assyrians worshiped the false goddess ishtar known as ashtoreth to israel one of the three main false gods that caused israel to fall to pagan nations ishtar would be so revered among the assyrians that she would be elevated to the highest deity in their pantheon there are connections between ishtar and germany as well as the United States. So Ishtar in Germany and Ishtar in the United States and the connection between Germany and the United States. The Ishtar Gate. Now, I know many of you have heard of this, but the Ishtar Gate was the eighth gate to the inner city of Babylon. It was constructed circa 575 BC by order of King Nebuchadnezzar II on the north side of the city. It was part of a grand walled uh, processional way leading into the city. The walls were finished in glazed bricks, mostly in blue with animals and deities in low relief at intervals. These were also made up of bricks that are molded and colored differently. The German archaeologist Robert Coldaway led the excavation of the site from 1904 to 1914. So it was a German archaeologist that discovered the Ishtar Gate. Now, there was something that went on between October 11, 2020 to March 10th, 2021. And this was the reconstruction of the Ishtar Gate in the Pergamum Museum has fascinated visitors to Berlin's Museum Island for nearly 99 years. So where did a reconstruction of the Ishtar Gate end up? Berlin, Germany. The Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar II, who ruled from 604 to 562 BC, built the spectacular gate in Babylon. After the fall of the Babylonian Empire in the late 6th century BC, the gate gradually disintegrated so that only small fragments were found during the excavation in Babylon. These were then used to reconstruct a section of the gate in Berlin today. Many visitors wonder how it made its way to this museum in Berlin. And we wonder why Berlin was such a center for such conflict and oppression and destruction, because many of these, of these false gods of these pagan nations that horribly tried to infiltrate, lead the people of God astray and destroy that nation. A lot of these artifacts ended up in Germany first or um, ended up in Germany at one point. Also, there is actually a city in Germany called Bale, B-A-A-L. There is a city in Germany called Bale, Germany. You can look that up also. Now we're going to go to the altar of Zeus, also known as the throne of Satan that made its way to Germany as well. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 12, we read about one of the seven churches, the church in Pergamum, where Satan's throne is. This is actually in the Bible here in the book of Revelation. The ancient city of Pergamum or Pergamon was the center of pagan worship in Asia Minor. The once thriving city lay forgotten and in ruins till, eight, uh, till 1864 when German engineer... So here we go again with somebody from Germany discovering these things. Karl Humann began excavating it, finding one of the antiquity's greatest monuments, the altar of Zeus. Zeus was another name for Satan. It was interchangeable. So Zeus was just known in the Greek culture, but it was really Satan. Let's put it that way. The altar was excavated and taken stone by stone to where? Berlin. Where was the Ishtar Gate reconstructed? Berlin, where it was reassembled in its own museum. The Turkish government agreed that the ancient foundation of the Pergamon altar, Satan's throne, became the property of Germany. In 1930, the Pergamon Museum was opened to the public. A few years later, the Nazi party's chief architect Albert Speer was commissioned by the new chancellor Adolf Hitler. Remember, because he got the percentage of the Reichstag, he got enough of the seats in the Reichstag to be elected as chancellor. This is when the Weimar Republic fell to design the parade grounds for the party rallies in Nuremberg. 
Spear turned to the Pergamon altar for inspiration using the altar as a model. Spear created a colossal grandstand known as the Zeppelin Tribune. In the following years, mass rallies, Hitler descended down the steps like a tribune in ancient Rome, old Roman Empire. Most of the Nuremberg rallies were held at night. The grandstand was surrounded with 150 searchlights and the light columns extended for a mile in the sky, creating the mystical effect Hitler wanted. This effect was known as the Cathedral of Light. Why? Because Satan comes as an angel of light. That's what the word of God says. Inside the rally grounds, thousands of Nazi party members marched in torchlight parades. From the altar's podium, Hitler mesmerized the crowds as they swore a, quote, holy oath to Germany. But there was nothing holy about this oath. On that evening of September 15th, 1935, Hitler announced the Nuremberg Laws. The law for the protection of German blood and German honor was intended to begin the marginalization process of the Jewish people. The new law stripped the Jews of their rights as citizens. Then the Reich citizenship law was introduced, stating that Jewish people in Germany were subjects of the Reich, but not citizens. So this was the giant step at enslaving them and making them more property than anything else. More property and then ultimately using that as an argument to horrifically try to destroy them. It was also in Nuremberg that Hitler used the phrase final solution for the first time in public. Hitler's final solution is known as the Holocaust, a word that comes from a Greek word meaning a holy burnt animal sacrifice. On the ancient altar of Zeus in Pergamum, burnt sacrifice was practiced. Centuries later in German's Nuremberg, in the redesigned Pergamon altar, Hitler announced his final solution to the world. And this time the burnt sacrifice was 6 million Jews. Now to the United States. The Arch of Baal. On September 20th, 2016, a replica of the Arch of Baal was placed in New York City. It will be seven years this September that the Arch of Baal was displayed in New York City. Isn't that interesting? Because the name of that horse that came in second in the in the uh, Preakness was what? Blazing Sevens. It will be seven years this September that the Arch of Baal was displayed in New York City. In a recent statement, Roger Michael, the executive director of the IDA, drew parallels between the destruction of Palmyra's landmarks and the violence that has marred London and New York's landscape, which is interesting. And this is what he says. It is our hope that the arch itself, an icon of destruction and rebirth, will remind visitors of both the universality of suffering and the indomitable human capacity to rebuild what has been lost. This is spoken about in Isaiah, where the Jews um, or the Israelites at that time want to defy God. And they go, the bricks have fallen, but we will rebuild with hewn stone. The sycamores have fallen, but we will replace them with cedars. Oh, yeah, you want to knock these down? We're just going to put something better in its place. We're going to build back better which is, was Joe Biden's campaign slogan in the 2020 crazy farce of an election. And so it's the same here, destruction and rebirth. Oh, you'll destroy it, but we'll, we'll just, we'll just birth it forth in another way. It's the same, it's along the same lines. The Arch of Baal was originally recreated where? In London, England. In London, England, who was Germany at odds with first when they tried to draw them in um, to make an alliance with them? England, right before World War I. A replica of a Syrian monument, two millennia old and destroyed by so-called Islamic State in Syria, has been erected in London's Trafalgar Square. The scale model of the Arch of Triumph has Arch of Triumph, isn't that interesting? That's what they're calling it, has been made from Egyptian marble by the Institute of Digital Archaeology using 3D technology. It will travel to cities around the world after leaving London. So this is, was the reports when this first was reconstructed. Then guess in November 14th, 2021, who also decides they want to restore 
the Arch of Baal. Russia. Russia continues to promote its restoration of historical sites in Syria. Russia's ambassador to Syria, Alexander Yefimov, announced his country's intention to restore the ancient Arch of Triumph or the Arch of Baal that was destroyed by the Islamic State in the Syrian city of Palmyra, according to a three-dimensional digital model. So now Russia is trying to build their own three-dimensional model in 2021 of the Arch of Baal. Who was the arch nemesis of Germany? In World War One, Russia. So isn't it interesting that these two both had pieces of these different false gods that caused Israel to fall? Now they both are interested in restoring them and in having these pieces in their country. Why was Russia in 2021 restoring the Arch of Baal? Perhaps getting, and I write this, you know, perhaps getting ready for the Gog-Magog war or to open portals to call on this horrible entity for military power. Uh, this is something definitely to keep watch of. Because isn't it interesting that Russia wanted to do this in 2021 and we see what's going on with Russia and Ukraine now. Isn't that interesting? You know why? Because these high-ranking demonic entities love to war. They love to battle for dominance of regions. The main players in World War I and II, almost all of them had visits from this recreated Arch of Baal. And many had things to do with replicas of Ishtar. And this is what was written October 17th, 2018. Bur uh, Baal is on a world tour. For what? Question mark. The replica of an arch of an ancient Baal temple has been erected in public spaces in the world's major cities since April, 2016. Isn't that interesting? April when Passover is, that's when apparently um, this whole, this whole whirlwind of a tour started in Trafalgar square, London during the three days leading up to the Jewish Passover in Florence, Italy during the G seven summit, in Dubai during the World Government Summit, in New York City last year, and this month at Capitol Mall in Washington, D.C. He then travels where? To Amsterdam, which is in Holland, where the Dutch are now integrating their military into Germany's, and then to Syria, where that arch, I believe, originally, or no, actually Ishtar's Gate originally, I think, was in that area of Syria. So it's kind of interesting because Baal and Ishtar were counterparts. So I find that interesting that this is the intended, very intended path that this followed. Then we have the Arch of Baal that graced uh, New York City and Washington, D.C., which was just in this write-up. And then we have January 2023, the golden Ishtar-looking statue placed atop the New York City courthouse, claiming it was in honor of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, one of the biggest advocates of abortion there ever was. And this was the New York Times article. Move over, Moses and Zoroaster. Manhattan has a new female lawgiver. So isn't that interesting? You've got the Ishtar Gate in Berlin. You've got this very Ishtar-looking statue in New York. You have the Arch of Baal that graced New York. You have the altar of Pergamum or the throne of Zeus that was in Germany. This is all connected in the realm of the spirit. Like I said, Germany, United States, Weimar Republic, these replicas hitting certain nations at certain times. It's all connected. Now, there was something that happened in June of 2022, and I've spoken about this dream before, and I'm going to go over this dream again quickly because it has to do with everything we're talking about. This was when I was at the ARC conference in New Jersey with Charlie Champ and Robin Bullock in Cranberry, New Jersey, and or I think it's Cranford, I think it's called Cranford, New Jersey, and so it's in northern New Jersey. It's not it's not that far from where we live, and so we were there last June. We were actually there when when the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade and kicked it back to the state. So we were at this conference when this happened. So in the early hours of June twenty fifth, twenty twenty two, 
Chris and I were in New Jersey at Mantle of Power Ministries. I had the, and I talked about that. I was ministering alongside these gentlemen. And in the early hours of June 25th, uh, just one day after the ruling on Roe versus Wade came down from the Supreme Court, I had a dream. I was so tired from ministering that I did not expect this. However, the Lord had other plans. This was the dream. The Lord had me at a safe distance to witness what I did. I saw a sandy colored stone bridge, the one that goes over a moat to a castle entrance. You have seen it before. You have this stone bridge going over water, and then there is the entrance or a gate. At the other side on this bridge, opposite the gate, was an army of people. Not great in number, but maybe 40-ish people were there on horses. The leader was on this horse standing in front of them. They looked a bit frail and weak. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, the gentleman on the horse, um, in a way, resembled Prince Charles. So I'm not going, uh, th that is something I've never spoken about. But the gentleman on the horse, in a way, resembled Prince Charles. I'm not saying it is him. I'm saying it resembled him. There may be other leaders in Europe that look a little similar, but that's what it looked like. At the other side, behind this gate, I see something very, I capitalize that, dark. And the leader with the band of 40 or so says anxiously but calmly, open the gate. This was a gate from an ancient castle, the ones you can see through that protected uh, from unlawful entry. When this leader said, open the gate, the gate opened all on its own. And what I saw come through was from the kingdom of darkness. There was a huge army all on black horses, all those on those horses in black. And at the head was their leader. He was on a very large black horse. He was cloaked. The hood of the cloak came over his eyes and covered over half his face. So I could not see his face. I believe it was his left hand that held a black staff. And at the top of that staff was a crystal ball. When the gate opened, he and this dark army charged toward these leaders on the other side with such force. However, one of those leaders from the company of 40 or so defected and ran when this dark army came in, ran on this horse and ran through some neighborhoods to get away. I was only allowed to see this person's back. And that is where the dream ended. This dream has to do with Europe ushering in the spirit of Antichrist, actually attempting to prematurely bring it in out of desperation and jumping the gun on wanting domination and influence. So keep that in mind. Now, to go back to the Assyrians, because the Germans descended from the Assyrians, and I don't find that to be any accident. The Assyrians, those same rulers of the darkness that brought Assyria to destroy Israel, are the same rulers that brought up Germany to try and destroy the Jewish people. It's the same high-ranking spirits in the kingdom of darkness that keep raising up puppets to try and destroy the people of God and now is at work in the United States of America. The spirit of lawlessness is most definitely at work. If we go to, to see how the Assyrians would challenge Israel. If we go to second Kings and start at chapter 18, this has to do with Sennacherib, Israel, and King Hezekiah, who was a righteous king at the time this was going on, and the messengers for Sennacherib who were known as the Rabshakehs. So second Kings 18 verses one through six. Now it came about in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abai, the daughter of Zechariah. Hezekiah did right in the sight of the Lord in accordance with everything that David, his father, had done. He removed the high places of pagan worship, broke down the images, and cut down the Asherim. He also crushed to pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made, for until those days the Israelites had burned incense to it, so they made it an idol. And it was called Nehushtan. Hezekiah trusted in and relied confidently on the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him there was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. For he clung to the Lord. He did not turn away from following him, but he kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. 
Now, this so this opens. So Hezekiah is king at the time that what's about to happen happens. But what's important is Hezekiah tore down all the high places. He tore down the pagan engraven images. He tore it all down. He cleansed that land of that. And he broke that stronghold of those high-ranking powers over that area. So now they're mad. So now they want to come back with a vengeance. Why? Because they keep coming back in cycles with a vengeance to try to destroy what is of God. Second Kings chapter 18, verses 17 through 36. Then the king of Assyria sent the Tartan and the Rabsaris and the Rabshekah, his highest officials with a large army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. They went up and came to Jerusalem. And when they went up and arrived, they stood by the aqueduct of the upper pool, which is on the road of the Fuller's field. When they called for the king, Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was in charge of the king's household and Shebna, the scribe and Joah, the son of Asaph, the secretary went out to meet them. Then the Rabshakeh said to them, say to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria. What is this confidence that you have? You say, I have counsel and strength for the war. Now on whom do you rely that you have rebelled against me? Now pay attention. You are relying on Egypt, on the staff of crushed reed. If a man leans on it, it will only go into his hand and pierce it. Now they weren't really relying on Egypt. The king here was trying to sort of mess with them a little bit to intimidate them. So is Pharaoh king of Egypt to all who trust and rely on him? But if you tell me we trust in and rely on the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed? Now that was a lie because he removed the pagan high places and that's what the enemy's going to do. He's going to try to lie and twist what the Lord wants and what the Lord says. And that's exactly what happened here. And I said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall now worship, you shall worship only before this altar in Jerusalem. Now then make a bargain with my Lord, the King of Assyria, and I will give you 2000 horses. If on your part, you can put riders on them. So the King of Assyria is very haughty. He thinks he is undefeatable. He thinks there's no power that could ever touch him. The enemy is setting him up here for a fall because the enemy is so puffed up with pride himself. Verse 24, how then can you drive back even one official of the least of my master's servants when you rely on Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Now have I come up against this place to destroy it without the Lord's approval. The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Now, the Lord is not talking to Sennacherib. He worships pagan gods, but he is so um, deceive that he's saying, oh, I have the Lord's approval to destroy you when he doesn't have any sort of the Lord's approval on this matter. Verse 26. And what did Hitler, what was the thing that he said? I have the Lord's approval to destroy the Jews. He made it like he was doing God's work and he had the approval of God to do this. It's the same lie. It's the same spirit that goes all the way back to the Assyrians. Verse 26, then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah and Shebna and Joah said to the Rabshakeh, please speak to your servants in the Aramaic Syrian language because we understand it. And do not speak with us in the Judean Hebrew language in the hearing of the people who are on the wall. But the Rabshakeh said to them, has my master sent me only to your master and to you to say these things? Has he not sent me to the men who sit on the wall? to eat their own excrement and drink their own urine along with you. So they really are just speaking nothing but filth to them right now because they think they have them cornered. Verse 28, then the Rabshakeh stood and shouted out with a loud voice in Judean, Hebrew, hear the word of the great king of the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you for he will not be able to rescue you from my hand nor let Hezekiah make you trust in and rely on the Lord, saying the Lord will certainly rescue us and this city of Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, surrender to me and come out to meet me and every man 
may eat from his own vine and fig tree, and every man may drink the waters of his own well, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey, so that you may live and not die. Do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads and incites you, saying, the Lord will rescue us. So he's saying, give in to me and this spirit. And we're going to give you tons of government assistance. We're going to give you vineyards. We're going to give you fruit trees. We're going to give you land. We're going to give you just, you know, olive trees and honey and every good thing. If you'll just bow down and worship us. Where did we see that? Well, when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, when he, after he was baptized and he was cast and compelled into the wilderness, what did the enemy say? I'll give you half the kingdoms of the earth if you'll just bow down and worship me. Those weren't even the enemy's kingdoms to give. Those are God's kingdoms. He was trying to give away God's kingdoms to the son of Almighty God. It doesn't work that way, but it's the same lie. These spirits work in the same cycle through the ages. And then he says, has any of the gods of the nations ever rescued this land, his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? So he's saying he has an undefeated record thus far. That's about to change. Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Saravaim, Hina and Iva? Have they rescued Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands have rescued their lands from my hand that the Lord would rescue Jerusalem from my hand? But the people kept silent and did not answer him. For the king had commanded, do not answer him. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was in charge of the royal household, and Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the secretary, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn in grief and despair and told him what the Rabshakeh had said. So basically, they're threatening total annihilation and destruction of Israel if they don't bow down and worship the king of Syria if they don't bow down to him, if they don't do what he wants, if they don't completely give in to this pagan nation. Second Kings chapter 19 verses 8 through 14. So the Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna for he had heard this is where, so there was a part in between this in scripture where the Lord purposely as the king of Assyria hear a rumor, a rumor, gossip. And he puts a hook in his jaw kind of through that rumor and gossip and he drags him to go fight against somebody else. So they, they find him, the king of Assyria, fighting against Libna. For he had heard that the king had left Lachish. So when the king heard them say concerning Tirhaka, king of Ethiopia, behold, he has come out to make war against you. He sent messengers again to Hezekiah saying, say this to Hezekiah, king of Judah, do not let your God on whom you rely deceive you. God does not deceive his people. The enemy deceives. Do not let him deceive you by saying, Jerusalem shall not be handed over to the king of Assyria. Listen, you have heard what the Assyrian kings have done to all the lands, destroying them completely. So will you be spared? Question mark. Did the gods of the nations whom my forefathers destroyed rescue them? Gozan and Haram and Rezepha and the people of Eden who were in Telassar. Where, where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, which is northern Syria, the king of the city of Se uh, Sepharvaim and of Hena and Iva? So we say, where are all they? Defeated all them. Nope, don't see them, do you? So you're not going to be seen either unless you submit to this king and, and this, this ruler of the darkness that is driving the king of Assyria at that point. So then in verse 14, Hezekiah does something. And this is where the United States could learn from this right now. This is where the church in Germany, this is what they should have done when this happened. This same thing happened. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, who is enthroned above the cherubim, 
You are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made the heavens and the earth. O Lord, bend down your ear and hear. Lord, open your eyes and see. Hear the taunting words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to taunt and defy the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have devastated the nations and their lands and have thrown their gods into the fire, for they were not real gods, but only the work of men's hands, wood and stone, so they could destroy them um, and have destroyed them. Now, O Lord, your God, oh, oh, now, O Lord, our God, please save us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know without any doubt that you alone, O Lord, are God. So that's his prayer. Second Kings chapter 19 verses 22 through 28. And this is what it says. Um, there's something that's spoken here and it says, whom have you taunted and blasphemed against whom have you raised your voice and haughtily lifted up your eyes against the Holy one of Israel through your messengers, you have taunted and defied the Lord and have said boastfully with, with my many chariots, I came up to the heights of the mountains, to the remotest part of Lebanon. I cut down its tall cedar trees and its choicest cypress trees. I entered its most distant lodging, its densest forest. I dug wells and drank foreign waters. And with the sole of my feet, I dried up all the rivers of Egypt. Have you not heard long ago I did it from ancient times I planned it? Now I have brought it to pass that you, king of Assyria, should Turn fortified cities into ruinous heaps. Therefore, their inhabitants were powerless. They were shattered and put to shame. They were like plants of the field, the great herb, as grass on the housetops is scorched before it is grown up. But I, the Lord, know you're sitting down, O Sennacherib. You're going out, you're coming in, and you're raging against me. So the Lord is responding here to Sennacherib's taunts because remember they went to Isaiah the prophet and this is the response. Because of your raging against me and because your arrogance and complacency have come up to my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips and I will turn you back to Assyria by the way that you came. And when that happened, he went into the temple of his false god and his two sons murdered him for the crown. So that is how all that ended. Why? Because demons squabble. Why? Because they decided to rage against God and rage against his people. And what did Hezekiah do? He took it before the Lord. He went to Isaiah. Isaiah the prophet took it before the Lord. And it came up before the Lord what Sennacherib had done, that he had gone out of bounds that he had been wholly out of line, that he had now challenged not only the people of God, but challenged almighty God himself to respond. And the Lord responded. And that was the end of Sennacherib. And the United States of America right now in this election cycle could learn a lot from how Hezekiah handled this situation because it's the same spirit that has been coming up in cycles. These same spirits have been coming up in cycles through the centuries, through kingdoms, through false leaders, through leaders of an antichrist-like nature. And so we can learn a lot from this and we can do this. And the Lord can respond to those who want to cause America to completely fall and totally deceive America the way Germany was totally deceived, the way so many other nations were totally deceived in this, uh, the way Israel was deceived so many times. We can learn a lot from this right now. First John 4 verses 5 through 6 they are of the world and belong to it. Therefore, they speak from the world. With its immoral freedom and baseless theories, this is in parentheses, demanding compliance with their opinions and, and ridiculing the values of the upright. And the world listens closely and pays attention to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not of God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. 
which is motivated by the enemy. And the last thing I'm going to end with is 1 John 4, verses 1 through 3. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming. And now it is already in the world. And it has been at work through the centuries. So that is the scripture I am going to end with and end part two here. A lot of information, but let me tell you, this is all connected. There may even be a part three of this as this continues to go forth. So I am going to pray about this because there is so much more information here that could be tied to this. But this is where I'm going to end part two for now. We are almost at an hour. Um, and so take it, pray about it. Um, and we have to understand that in the realm of the spirit, the kingdom of darkness vies for territory and regions, and it is highly protective of those regions. And it tries to advance on other regions to enslave it, to make it bow, to fulfill the kingdom of darkness agenda. And so we have seen this happen in the United States of America going on right now also. However, we have been given the authority of the believer. We have been given authority through Jesus Christ from the throne of God, and we have to utilize it. And we have to pray strategically right now because of what we see going on. Because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down and destruction of strongholds. They don't want us to use the weapons of our warfare that are not carnal. They are not man-made. They come from God. God equips us with every good and perfect gift that comes from above. And he equips us for the battle ahead. Now is the time to get completely equipped. Do not stay in immature territory. But allow the Lord to mature you right now so you can be equipped and you can understand and learn to move in what the Lord wants you to say, how he wants you to pray, what he wants you to target. Because we, as the people of God, are automatically at war with the kingdom of darkness. There's no if, ands, or but. And the kingdom of darkness wants to advance and use the same tactics it has used over and over again. And we have a chance. We have a chance as those that are spirit-filled believers. We have a chance as those that are children and servants of the Most High God. We have a chance right now to stand up and to utilize what God has equipped us with and utilize the sword of the spirit, utilize the armor of God, utilize the word, pray strategically and see change happen in this nation because it doesn't have to go the way of the Weimar Republic. It doesn't have to go the way of Germany. It doesn't have to go the way of things that happened in World War I. It doesn't have to go that way. Um, prayer is very effective. The effective fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. And we need to understand that prayer is way more powerful than we think when we see attacks like this coming. So stay strong and anchored in the word. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might right now as we go forth into this very crucial season and the precipice of what we're on right now. This is the crossroads of choose this day whom you will serve. And so as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So God bless everyone. Keep the faith. Um, and we will be back on next week. We will announce when we're coming back on armor up according to Ephesians six and Psalm 91. Speak it every single day over you and your family. God bless everyone. And I have to tell you something, they work. 
it is an alternative to big pharma based on quantum physics over 40 scripture verses written into these patches for everything from blood sugar anxiety pain neuropathy to immune system boost dog pain they are very sincere about um, having alternatives to big pharma we are a big advocate of natural solutions to help with pain and and, and blood sugar and a host of other issues I yeah. tried the pain patches and, yeah. and they worked when I used them when you connect it to your body the skin patch changes your brain waves sugar this one is neuropathy I actually have it on and we use this on Toby actually because Toby's about eight years old and from being paralyzed years ago and the Lord miraculously healing him he has a little leftover with his joints and his hips so we actually give him the doggy pain patches what was he doing he was running oh yeah <laughs> I mean I walked him out and wow he's boom and he got power i said no way and i don't know i said amanda what what did you do to him to <laughs> so it's good if you are looking for an excellent doctor if you are looking to get healthier if you are looking to understand why the things in your body operate the way they do go to sherwood.tv forward slash amanda grace doctors mark and michelle sherwood of the functional medical institute in tulsa oklahoma are there to help you with all of your medical needs in fact i am a patient of the functional medical institute and god bless dr sherwood because chris was a tough nut to crack on this but after over a year and a half chris is finally on board he is a patient of dr sherwood's and him listening and and implementing what dr sherwood has taught him has made a difference in his life so if you are interested and curious as to what they do, if you'd like to make an appointment, if you'd like to see what products they have, because they have some amazing products, go to Sherwood.tv forward slash Amanda Grace. Thank you. You want to support an amazing patriot that's doing so much for our country and be a blessing. You can go to MyPillow.com and use promo code ARK, A-R-K, to save up to 66% or sometimes more off of all my pillow products. They are so much more than just pillows. They have amazing bathrobes. They have sheets. They have slippers. They, of course, have pillows. And they even have dog beds. And I will tell you a fun fact. Noble, our pig at the animal sanctuary that many of you know and love, has indeed slept on a MyPillow dog bed. So if you'd like to be a blessing, go to MyPillow.com and use promo code ARC. God bless everyone. If you are looking for advice on financial matters, if you think gold and silver is something that you should invest in, go to bh-pm.com today. Andrew Sorcini of Beverly Hills Precious Metals, who's been on Ark of Grace many times, he loves to answer our viewer questions. In fact, he's answered all sorts of questions about gold, silver, the markets, even the real estate market he's been kind enough to answer questions about. So if you would like more information, if this is something you would like to invest in, please go to bh-pm.com today. That is bh-pm.com. Hello everyone, it's Amanda Grace. I'm here to talk to you today about this incredible product that I use every day called Power Team. It is 130 raw superfoods. And I have to tell you, it is one of the most amazing products I have ever used. I take it every day. It helps me with energy. It helps feed my cells at the cellular level. It helps me with clarity and focus. It helps with so many things and functions in your body, including your gut as well. So if you would like to learn more about this product, if you would like to learn the 130 raw superfoods that are in this product, please go to the link below or you can go to arcofgrace-ministries.com and go to our shop section and you will find Power Team there as well. Thank you, everyone. 
If you would like to grow your own food with what we see going on right now in the world with not only food supplies, but what they are doing to our food, you can go to amandagracegrows.com. These are amazing hydroponic growers. In fact, we have one in our parrot room, and this is an indoor one we have where you can grow food all year round, actually, vegetables all year round. And we are doing that actually for our birds and our animals at our sanctuary. They also have outdoor ones. They actually yield 30% more and grow the vegetables three times faster. So if you would like to learn more, go to amandagracegrows.com. God bless. Hello everyone, it's Amanda Grace. I'm here to talk to you today about Reawaken America. I have had the honoring and humbling privilege of being able to be part of Reawaken America since the first one was had at Rima Bible College in Tulsa, Oklahoma in April of 2021. I have watched so many moments happen for the glory of God at Reawaken America. We have seen people healed, delivered, set free. We love to pray for people at Reawaken America. We have had the honor of praying alongside some amazing people uh, Marty Grisham from Loudmouth Prayer, Pastor Todd Coconado, who also deals in deliverance. And we have seen people's lives changed. We have seen them set free. We have seen people who are come seeking. And the Lord says, when you seek, you shall find. And you knock, the door shall be opened unto you. They have been seeking and those seeds get planted for the glory of God at Reawaken America. The word of God says it is the knowledge of the truth that shall set you free. And this is what we are doing at Reawaken America. You get biblical truth. You get a foundation of the word of God. And you also get necessary information right now to help you understand what is going on in America and the world. And I am humbled and honored that General Flynn and Clay Clark would even let me be a part of this. And People need the word of the Lord in this hour. That is what they need. They need those who are willing to boldly stand up and with the conviction and the authority from God, speak the word of the Lord into their lives. It is a catalyst. It is life changing. And, and we praise the Lord that we have continued in this. And we hope to see you at upcoming events that are happening this year. We hope we get to pray over you at these upcoming events. <laughs>